0: Hello and welcome to the Pace of Nature podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Lockyer. And today I'll be talking about Scary Funny with Caitlin Williams, international wildlife tracker and bird language expert, also forest therapy guide, and so many other things. Caitlin has been a hero of the nature connection world for many, many years. And she currently lives in North Carolina, where she is from. And we will be having a great conversation about this idea of free play called Scary Funny. And you can hear more about that on a previous episode with Dr. Mariana Brusoni. So enjoy that episode. We talk all about free, risky free play and the different types of risky free play and why it's important on that episode. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. In the episode, we do talk about, uh, we reference Liquid Amber, and that's a story that Caitlin told at the beginning. I've cut it out because we did some kind of laughing and cackling, and if you would like to hear that story, it's tacked on to the very end of the episode, so you can continue to listen to that story and about the liquid amber. All right, I hope you enjoy today, and happy Halloween, happy All Hallows Day, Day of the Dead. Hope you are doing something wonderful to honor your ancestors as we are.
1: Yeah, you know, my mom, oh, she's, she is not 80 yet, but she is approaching 80, 77 maybe? And she still hides behind doors and jumps out at us and laughs. <laughs> laughs, 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 laughs.
0: And I, I've got to meet your mom once on zoom here and she is sprite. I mean, she looks, she looks very young. I was not expecting you to say that she was almost 80. And so that scary, funny piece, that's a good point because it's not just about the young childhood, it's these things keep our neurological system kind of primed and ready and, um, and firing all the time.
1: Absolutely, and that's one of the things that I've been thinking about with this um, scary, funny aspect is like what's actually happening in our nervous system. And I think, you know, it's again that, that sort of activation of the fight or flight, but that context of like safety and humor that then makes us more resilient in the face of, um, you know, actual dangers and um, stressful events. I mean, one thing that you probably, (laughs) I'm sure have noticed about me, and I will say is true of my family, that one of our big responses to stressors is to find the humor in it. And uh, I mean, it's, you know, it occasionally really serves to just go into the, to the pain of the stressor, but to be able to have that humor to come out is, um, is gold. It's, it's yeah. liquid amber gold. <laughs>
0: Liquid amber gold. Well, that's what the science tells us exactly. That piece is that um, resilience is built through the activation of stressors and then then knowing that there will be something there to calm us and nurture us. And so it's not, you know, uh, trauma isn't necessarily the thing that happens it's that you were alone in your pain after that thing and that's really what creates trauma they're they're starting to demonstrate Gabor Mate talks a lot about that if if people are familiar with Gabor um he's done a lot of work around that but but yeah that just like you said that activation and then knowing that oh this is mom and she's just being silly and now we laugh and so coming back down to that but um And so, so there is, you know, before we end today, I do want to talk a little bit though about, you know, the idea of having a child in a scary, funny situation that, um, we need, we do need to understand a little bit about it so that we don't cause trauma when we're playing scary, funny, right. If, if there's an adult and a child playing.
1: Yeah. So what, what would you say, um are some tools because I think you know that's a real potential hazard if I mean I don't think I don't know what I was going to say but you know I think there's probably maybe some of us haven't had that gift of being allowed to sort of explore what's scary to explore scary funny um, and therefore might not know how to resolve that and bring bring youth or ourselves back to a space of safety so what are some things that you might offer to mentors and parents and in terms yeah of- I,
0: I think the first thing is to really um, I like to dial it way back to the beginning of life if you think about an infant and you think about um, when that infant is just starting to become aware of their environment and they're able to move their head around and look and that's when babies like to play that game and then they'll laugh and laugh and laugh. Now I've seen, I've seen people, um, just get so much joy out of that laughter that they'll keep doing it until the child can't breathe (laughs) and that's a little too much on their nervous system. They actually can't regulate that laughing yet, that, that laugh response. And so to remember, even in that moment, that little connection with them, laugh, give them a moment to then recover before you do boo again and let them laugh they need to breathe recover and then play it again and so when you look at that then then we want to just keep um, stretching it as their development stretches so you know if a child if you if you jump out and say boo to say a four-year-old without them realizing that that's a game that you're playing you know if you're just like i'm just going to try this then you're probably going to have a serious meltdown and that child is going to be very upset but not in the good way so so for a 4 year old you know you want to practice that first so introduce it in a way that it isn't such a meltdown of a surprise you, let's play hide and seek you know that's why hide and seek is is has been so fun and then i'm going to hide and scare you so you're kind of front loading them with what you're going to do, it's still going to be scary and funny to the nervous system, right? Right. So to just really look at where they're at, have they experienced this before? Have you introduced this game or um, given them a heads up that you're playing it? And are they in agreement that it's going to be fun? Because that is one factor about play. It has to be fun for both for the people playing it. If it's not fun, if you're forcing it, then it's not play. It's not true play.
1: Right. This is, um, making me think about the window of tolerance in terms of our nervous systems. (laughs) So, you know, we, we build as we, uh, as we encounter things that are a little bit shocking to the nervous system, like maybe cold water. Um, we, you know, it, (laughs) If you take an infant and every day you go down to the stream and you kind of like stick their toes in and watch them react and then pull them up and hold them till they're comfortable again and then dip their toes in and maybe go a little further till they're like, oh, and then you hold them and you're kind of building that window of tolerance for them to tolerate the water. Whereas if you just kind of went and stuck them in the water, um, and didn't respond to their distress and just left them sitting there, um, they wouldn't necessarily have a positive relationship with water, and they also wouldn't have that build that window of tolerance to to recognize a particular input or stressor, as the case may be, or uh, what's another word? Um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but you know uh like that,
0: and a, yeah a developmental opportunity really is is what stressors right. are in our environment and- right yeah
1: so there if they're if you have to build that window a little bit and that's what i imagine that scary funny is kind of doing is it's like giving us just a little bit of exposure to the experience of our own fear and then able to uh but because it's safe and it's funny we're able to regulate and then we're building that window of tolerance to be able to manage bigger stressors in the future
0: Hmm. yeah I, I, that's such a beautiful way to put it and i like to people to think about you know when you're building a house uh, you don't put the roof on before you build the foundation and kids' development is just like that. So really think about, have I built a foundation for this before I introduce it? And if I haven't, how can I do that? How can I provide a little bit of a, of a lattice framework for us to work with here? So what are some
1: other things like we're talking about? <laughs> we've been talking about spherical items like snowballs and and uh, <laughs> sweet gumballs, which I'm, I'm actually just sitting here crushing this, which with my hand and feeling how it like doesn't actually really hurt. It's kind of, you know, uh-huh. I'm actually breaking it by doing this, breaking off the spines, um, which might be one way to just like start introducing a child to this scary, funny thing, like just squeeze it and see what happens. Ow, Hee! <laughs> ow. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, and then you know maybe building up to the sweet gumball fight but uh, what are some other opportunities Uh, hide and seek we talked about which oh my gosh gross
0: gross like touching slimy things and gross things (laughs) like that's always like "Ew, ew ha ha you know getting that that sensory tactile experience just exposing slowly at a time you talked about the water but then there's like the slippery and the slimy and the um, the uh, maybe something that you can't see under the surface and you're you're testing something out. Um, smelly, smelly. That's right. Stinky, <laughs> smelly. Like, is this going to be pleasurable or disgusting? That's 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 um a very important one actually because, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett is a scientist who's studied emotions and she has. Uh, discovered that there truly are only two universal emotions just two, and they 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 both speak to the scary funniness of what you just said you know um, they are pleasure and disgust those are our only two universal emotions and all of our other emotions are constructed and that's a big topic we'll have to do a a whole session on that but but yeah if you think about that it, you know when you're like introducing smell or even touch it's like it's either pleasurable or disgusting and so not knowing <laughs> yeah. what it's going to be is scary funny
1: yeah my uh, I'm remembering a, a a moment of brilliant parenting with one of the <laughs> with one of the kids I used to nanny she I don't know why but she, she was very concerned about poop. (laughs) The child was? Yeah, just like, it's very common, right? In the (laughs) landscape, you know, and so one day, she had discovered a poop, you know, I don't even remember, it was probably dog poop or something, so she came, and she's like, to her father, and I was standing there, she's like, Dad, poop, (laughs) and he said, well did you poke it and she's like, no and he's, and he's like well get a stick she's like okay so she goes and gets her stick and she pokes it and you know and she comes back and it's like that resolved the situation <laughs> so it was was almost like that like i want to interact but i'm disgusted i need a tool to interact what should i do
0: Yeah, yeah. And we should probably say that because there are some people that might listen to this, who don't understand that in the naturalist world, we do poke a lot of poop. And maybe that'll be the name of this session poking poop. Because, because it gives us a lot of information. So a lot of naturalists and trackers will, will find scat in the environment and, and to discover who might have been there. They might pull it apart to see are there bones or berries or grass or twigs in it. And that gives us a lot of information about who's traveling uh, through a certain area.
1: Yes, yes, I suppose some people might need some context about
0: yeah we we have to remember to give context for these things that you and i find um in our everyday world that some people might uh, not be as familiar and are just going to be introduced to to
1: yes uh it's technically it's scat scientifically or animal spore that lets us know what animals are on the landscape with us (laughs) and it's helpful to poke it with a stick to find out you know what they're eating whether there's hair in there and apparently it also resolved for that child whatever that was of like ah poop it's ew it's gross it's yucky well poke it like now i have some some resilience and some control and some know-how of what to do with this scary, funny, stinky, smelly thing.
0: Right. You know what? You just reminded me of the other piece that we wanted, we had talked about revisiting, which was anxiety in children. And so building resilience decreases anxiety, but also having these opportunities in early childhood and childhood to um, engage with scary, funny is really one way to, to help build resilience, so that anxiety doesn't become um, uh, crippling, and so you know, poop, poop, it, funny enough, is a great example of that because it is no, you know, to most people, it, they find it disgusting and unpleasurable, and so um, whenever a child is scared by something or finds it disgusting or or unpleasurable. Instead of shying away from it or preserving or keeping them safe from that thing that's causing them disgust or displeasure, it is important to have some discovery around it and demystify whatever that thing is within reason.
1: Right. Yeah, of course. Uh, You know, so that's building that window of tolerance that we are talking about just on a nervous system level. Um, But yes, of course, you want (laughs) to keep people safe. I'm trying to think of um, you know another thing that's uh, one of those you know big fears that we learn to engage with as darkness you know or and we talked about wetness that's another thing I think is like a kind of inherent there's a response to us because at a certain level you know it's it's dangerous to be wet in the long term in terms of surviving in the land- landscape you know keeping your temperature at the right place can be harder if you're wet Um, but you know building those relationships with water or darkness you know what what i i mean for me one of the things that i'm thinking of are um you know, lightning bugs, which I don't actually typically think of as scary, although I know that insects are one of those things that are scary, but lightning bugs are such an invitation into the night, you know, into the darkness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, in retrospect, I, I feel like, you know, when I was in my 20s, people were always commenting to me how little of um, fear I had of, of darkness and i never really thought about it until this moment but you know one of the big things for me was chasing fireflies as a kid and i you know i i had some fear of darkness but the desire to engage with with fireflies it was like it it was like the darkness didn't exist when i was chasing fireflies
0: yeah yeah, that that's a motivating factor. That um, so you you had a greater motivation than you had fear, and so you were able right. to overcome that fear through that motivation. And that's a pretty common way to overcome fear: is right. to find something that's more motivating than. The frightening thing in front of you just like you know people who are afraid of snakes and they're hiking a trail and they really want to get to somewhere but there's a snake laying across the trail they have to in some way overcome that to get to the other side and there's so many examples of that in the natural world and every time we overcome something we build resilience
1: yeah like my desire to throw one of these at my brother <laughs> was so much greater than my fear of being <laughs> poked by them
0: <laughs> <laughs> Siblings oh my goodness <laughs> I have stories <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's <so fun. laughs> My brothers and I oh so cold is another one my brothers and I used to dare each other in the winter um, in Canada and in the the northeast. Um, to run to our mailbox barefoot in the snow and back. And that was like, oh, it was so painful, but we just really, we were so motivated to like, to win or to just, to just prove that we could do it when we were dared to do it. The daring thing is huge in the scary, funny world, right? Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and received something that was helpful or useful to you. And please do share this episode, share other episodes, like us, send us a comment, send us a really nice review. These things really do help and it helps Keep us going. It's hard to know who's out there listening, but when we hear from you, then it really helps uh, motivate us to keep making podcasts and putting out good content and content that isn't just pop content. I've been doing this work for 25 years and Caitlin just as long and uh, most of the people I have on this podcast have been working hard in the nature connection field or in the human development field for many, many years. And everything that I talk about is based on good science, not just pop science. So enjoy. And again, if you would like to listen to the story with the liquid amber, just keep listening and it's coming next. Right. Do you have a story for us around that?
1: Uh, Well, you know, I do. I brought this lovely, lovely basket of Amber gold, as I've been calling it, but these are actually sweet gum balls or sweet gum seed pods from a sweet gum tree, also sometimes called an amber tree. So Are they,
0: are they sometimes called liquid amber?
1: Yes, they are. Ah, okay. <laughs> um, and, oh, that one's got a little, a little offering from the birds on it. But we were talking about these on our last talk, so I thought I would bring them so people knew what we were talking about. My mom calls them little coronavirus models. Oh
0: my goodness. <laughs> she's she's right. Look at that! It's like it's like it came right from that little seed pod. <laughs> so these these came
1: from the two trees, big trees in my front yard. So they've actually been part of my life growing up. Um, they're they uh, these were something that I would. Uh, I would have to run over in my bare feet to escape the neighborhood bullies and stuff and I got really good at being able to run across these and and everyone else would stop at the edge of my lawn because they they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't endure this on their feet but I was used to it. But I have to tell you I we started gathering these just as a little bit, you know, just to make some
0: crafts and uh, we you just making- reminded me of, you know, that scene in the, like, the Roadrunner where they throw tacks so that the car <laughs> like you had your own little,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, my own little protective barrier, and um, we were collecting these just to do crafts with, and, you know, we are being silly about how we, we could sell them on eBay for, you know, inordinate amounts of money, um, but But as we were collecting these, um, I had a moment of deciding that I was going to throw one at my brother. Um, They're really light, so you really can't get very much uh, power behind them. And I have to tell you, the moment I decided to throw one at my brother was like, I became so filled with thrills and joy and delight as did he and we almost erupted in a full-on sweet gum ball fight (laughs) and I told him if I ever knock on his door and I'm wearing goggles he better watch out (laughs) but when we were little I do remember having some pretty epic sweet gum battles uh sweet gum ball battles in the in the front yard just you know like snowball fights with these and, you know, it's really hard to be hurt by them, but there's a little bit of a like, oh, that stings just a little. So it's, it's scary funny. And I thought these are just the perfect little offering from the natural world that is um, an un, unsung hero of, of development. And, you know, later in life, I started realizing that each one of these, uh, that the birds would come and hang on the tree canopy they're eating the seeds out of that so they also do a lot for for wildlife as well provide a lot of food um but yeah so i brought those talk about scary funny
0: and yeah you reminded me you know i grew up in uh, the northeast of the of new england and also canada and um and we used to have, oh snowball fights were the best and they were terrifying like I hated them and I I, had, I loved them but I hated them you know and I was like let's play no let's not play and and you see that with kids that kind of dilemma of how exciting it is to do something that you know maybe they could get a little hurt it's a little a little scary and then somebody inevitably gets smashed with a snowball and everyone starts laughing and Um, or, or one thing that my kids used to love to do was, uh, hide in the house and just jump out and terrify me. You know, if I was bringing groceries, it would be like super successful for them. If I dropped the groceries and screamed and they would laugh so hard. And then I would do it to them. And, um, you know, to the outside world, it might've looked a little cruel, but it was actually, there's a developmental piece there. And, um. And that developmental piece is really kind of that just right amount of stress on the body to then really remember um, details and the environment and um, pieces of uh, pieces of what we really need to be paying attention to.
1: Yeah, you know, my mom, oh, she's, she is not 80 yet, but she is approaching 80, 76. Seven maybe. And she still hides behind doors and jumps out at us and laughs. <laughs> laughs, laughs, laughs,
0: laughs, 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 And I, I've got to meet your mom once on zoom here and she is sprite. I mean, she looks, she looks very young. I was not expecting you to say that she was almost 80. And so that scary, funny piece, that's a good point because it's not just about the young childhood it's these things keep our neurological system kind of primed and ready and um and firing all the time